0: The French History Podcast is brought to you by Evergreen Podcasts. History, pop culture, news, whatever it is you're looking for, Evergreen has the best of it. Check out their catalog on evergreenpodcasts.com. Are you tired of waiting for the next episode to come out? Do you want more French history content? Are you especially interested in the French Revolution, that super important event that changed world history forever? Well, have I got a thing for you, because today's episode is brought to you by Gray History. That's Gray, with an E, History. Gray History is a fantastic podcast covering the complexities and ambiguities of the past. Recommended by universities and schools across the globe, it is a remarkable podcast whose current season covers the French Revolution. With over 50 hours worth of content, you will learn everything you wanted to know about the revolution. So put it on your list because it is one of the greats among the pantheon of French history podcasts. That's Grey History, Grey with an E. The French History Podcast is brought to you by Evergreen Podcasts. History, pop culture, news, whatever it is you're looking for, Evergreen has the best of it. Check out their catalogue on evergreenpodcasts.com. Chapter 8. Ifrikia
1: Umar said, Let a group from among you climb the walls, and a group proceed to the housing of the Franks and the Christians, all of them, and kill them all. The people of Safax said to him, But our lord the sheikh, your father, we are frightened for him. He said, He commanded me to do this. If thousands from among the enemies are killed for the sheikh, then he has not died. The sun had not risen before they killed the franks to the last. Ibn al-Athir al-Kamil fi al-Tariq. The lord of Sicily was obstinate in the tyranny of his trespassing. He continued his aggression and his injustice. The evil of Roger's taxation and the wickedness of his scheming which oppressed the side of Islam burdened al-Hassan. Roger thought that this plan, which was close to his desire, would be easy to accomplish. Thus he mobilized and gathered an army. He called upon his soldiers to fight. When Roger was of the opinion that his affairs were in order and his planning finished, which was to be his annihilation, his fleet set out towards Mahdiya. God defend it. With 300 ships bearing on their decks, 30,000 soldiers, and about 1,000 cavalry. But its departure was ill-fated and bound to misfortunes, for God, who was the first and most radiant in the production of beauty, destroyed the Sicilian fleet with the loss of equipment and the perdition of souls. He made visible his providence, which does not reveal its truth without abundant praise, such that he sent on them a wind that moved them toward destruction. It came upon them with the cold of the water and the heat of fire. Their destruction befell them, alternating between the piercing of spears and the flashing of blades. Then we sought assistance by summoning the surrounding tribes of the Arabs to us, for they drew near in band upon band. The arrival of the torrent, which was a very violent commotion and surge in waves, came. All of them came with intentions of pure jihad. Thank God who has triumphed for the hand of Islam, elevated it, and gained it victory. He who has destroyed, ruined, debased, and driven away idolatry. Ibn al-Athir
0: al-Kamil fi al-Tariq. The Normans in Italy first encountered Africa while in Sicily. As the Qadits fell before the invaders, their leaders called upon the Zirid emir, Tamim ibn al muiz to save them. The Zirids obliged their fellow Muslims and sent a force to defeat the Normans. The North African rulers were not primarily fighting for Islam or any loyalty to the Sicilians, but exerting their control over the island. Sicily and the mid North African region of Afrika were intimately connected religiously, culturally, and economically. Importantly, the Afrikan state depended on Sicilian grain. The Zirids largely controlled the coastal cities where they grew wealthy and militarily powerful through trading and piracy. But the seaside cities could not feed themselves. The Zirids expanded southward towards the Sahara Desert, exploiting what agricultural land existed, but they still needed regular Sicilian grain shipments to feed their urban population. In 1072, Palermo fell. Subsequent Norman victories convinced Tomim that Sicily was lost, but perhaps its grain trade could be salvaged through a new understanding with the Normans. Roger Boso had little choice but to make peace with the Zirids and keep trade going. While Afrikia depended on Sicily's grain, Sicily's economy depended on Afrikia. In exchange for grain, Ifriqian merchants traded gold and slaves, which came via caravans north through the Sahara Desert from sub-Saharan Africa. One final thing that drove the Zirids into a close relationship with the Normans was that they needed allies. The strongest power in North Africa was Fatimid Egypt, whose leaders were Shiite Muslims. The Zirids broke off from Egypt and became Sunni. This religious division did not guarantee war, though it made it more likely as the Fatimids could use their rival's heretical beliefs as justification for invasion. Roger Boso understood that that his new island needed North African wealth, and in 1075, he signed a treaty with the Zirids. Trade continued as usual, and both countries grew rich. In fact, Roger Boso was on such good terms with Africa that while the Zirids raided other countries, they left his own territory alone. Despite being of different faiths, Both sides recognized there was more to gain from being friends than enemies. In fairness, both sides had enough of those. In the mid-1080s, the rising city-states of Genoa and Pisa invited Roger to join them in an attack on Madia, the capital city of Afrikia, which he refused. For decades, Roger Boso and his successor, Roger II, were on good terms with the Zirids. The Normans respected the Afrikians, having a similar political structure, which was a holdover from Muslim Sicily. African scholars regularly traveled from North Africa to Palermo, where they received the patronage of the Otville family. While the Hauteville favored the Zirids, the Norman leaders were in regular contact with leaders across North Africa. Notably, in 1114, pirates under the authority of the Hamadids captured a group of monks traveling from Sardinia to the abbey of Monte Cassino. When Roger heard of this, he sent emissaries to the Hamadid emir asking for their release, to which he immediately obliged. These friendly relations took a decisive downturn due to the rise in power of George of Antioch. George had never forgiven the Zirid dynasty for the murder of his brother. George's grudge against Yahya carried over to his son Ali, and he pushed Sicily towards a more aggressive policy against its southern neighbors. In 1117, the governor of the Afriquean city of Gabes built his own merchant ship for use in trade with Sicily. Ali condemned the governor's actions as an affront to his own monopoly on trade, prompting the governor of Gabes to ask the Normans for help. Soon, a Norman fleet arrived at Gabes. and incensed Ali sent his own fleet, leading to a tense standoff. Ultimately, the Normans withdrew without a fight. Yet Ali remained so concerned about Norman aggression he reached out to the Almoravids in the west for an alliance. The naval standoff opened a rift between Palermo and Madia. An increasingly confident Roger added to the drama by sending Ali a derisive letter. Ali decided he would make the first strike and built up his navy, but Ali died in 1121 and was succeeded as emir by his 12-year-old son, al-Hassan. It was under him, or more likely his regents, that the Almoravids and Afrikians launched their assault against Roger's territory, raiding Nicotera. Sicily and North Africa were at war. Roger expanded his own navy and halted all trade from Afrikia and the Almoravid state. The embargo was just as threatening as any invasion. The Zirid state depended on Sicilian grain more than ever. By this point, they had lost their inland, agriculturally rich territories to rival tribes and had to trade for sufficient food. In the midst of this crisis, al-Hasan reached out to a higher power, the Fatimid caliph al-Amir b. Akam Allah. Al-Amir was a powerful and widely respected leader, who enjoyed good relations with the states of North Africa and Sicily. Moreover, he had his own reasons for ending the trade embargo. If there was a major trade disruption, its economic impact would reverberate throughout the Mediterranean. No one wanted an economic crisis, and Alamir negotiated a peace between the three warring states. The peace did not last. In summer 1123, Roger sent a fleet of 300 ships to attack Madia. En route to the island, a storm sank many of the ships. Weakened, the Norman navy decided to raid Pontelliera, an island halfway between Sicily and the Tunisian coast. Then they attacked the fortified city of Aldimas. They captured Aldimas, only to find themselves besieged by the arriving Zirids. Those Normans who managed to flee to their ships could only watch as those left behind were slaughtered. Hostilities continued, and in 1127, Sicily reconquered Malta, whose Muslim rulers had at some point renounced their Christian overlords. Roger put a Christian governor in control with a garrison to hold the fortress of Medina and begin the re-Christianization of the island. Then Roger sent a fleet that raided Gerba an important Tunisian island and the largest on the North African coast. From there the fleet sailed to Mahdia, but the Mahdians were prepared and defeated the attackers. The Zirids responded to Norman aggression by raiding Syracuse on the 17th of July 1127. The growing central Mediterranean conflict was only interrupted by events in Italy. The death of Duke Guillaume II opened the door for Roger to claim dominion over the southern half of the peninsula, starting a prolonged war for succession. In 1135, the faltering Zirid state teetered under an invasion from the Hamidid emir who besieged Mahdiya. al Hassan was so desperate that he did the unthinkable. He begged Roger for aid. The Norman king of Sicily sent a fleet to Madia, saving his regular enemy and valuable trading partner. Roger's aim in supporting Al Hassan was to keep alive the valuable commercial linkages. But aside from this, he was demonstrating his power in the region. Al Hassan's invitation showcased the emir's impotence and Roger's strength for all of Africa to see. With Madia secure the Norman fleet then conquered Gerba, giving them a base of operations to assault the entire coast. The Norman presence at Gerba was a fatal blow to the declining Zirids. From the island, George of Antioch launched raids virtually every year. These raids sapped the strength of the coastal cities, even as the Normans grew more powerful. In 1142, he attacked Madia, seizing its ships, and with it, control over the city's sea trade. Even more consequential than the Northmen's aggression was the environment. From 1143 until the end of the decade, there was an annual drought. The Arab chronicler Ibn al Atir wrote that travelers arrived in empty towns where the dead outnumbered the living. There were even reports of cannibalism. Al-Hassan could only ask for grain shipments even as the Normans attacked more cities. On the 18th of June 1146, George attacked Tripoli, which was even then in the midst of a civil war between supporters of the Almoravids and a local tribe. As the Normans seized the gates, many of the city's people fled, but there was hardly any place to go. There was certainly no food in any direction. No sooner had they left than messengers rode out telling them that they could return in peace. Many heeded the call and returned to the city, where the Normans treated them kindly. This time the Northmen had not come as raiders, but conquerors. The Normans aimed to win over their new subjects and appointed a local governor with a charter of rights for himself and his people. These were quite generous given the circumstances, and the city gained a great degree of autonomy even as its leaders acknowledged the overlordship of the Normans. As Zirid authority collapsed, the Afrikians recognized that the Normans were the power brokers in the region, and turned to them to settle disputes. In Gabes, a local ruler named Yusuf, became deeply unpopular for his involvement in a coup and for his sexual abuse of protected women. Yusuf turned to Roger, pledging fealty in exchange for his military backing. In response, al-Hassan managed to form a coalition that ousted and executed Yusuf. It would be his last conquest before his downfall. In 1147, the drought reached its peak. Ifrikians were starving, and the Zirids were in full crisis. The following year, George of Antioch returned from raiding Greece. When he learned how desperate the situation in North Africa was, he decided to make his move. First, George seized Pantelleria. Then he sent out carrier pigeons with messages claiming his fleet would sail next to Constantinople. Instead, The galleys left for Madia. Today's episode is brought to you by Factor. Factor provides fresh, never frozen, chef crafted meals that are ready to eat in just two minutes. Factor includes a variety of plans, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto, among others. Factor is perfect for a busy routine with high-quality, healthy food that fits into your daily schedule. Mouth-watering dishes like chicken and mushroom tetrazzini, cavatappi and Italian-style pork ragu, and artichoke and spinach chicken are all on this week's menu, and you don't want to miss out on those. In addition to savory meals, Factor offers snacks and wellness shots the latter of which has become a personal favorite of mine. Go to factormeals.com slash FrenchHistory50 and use the code FrenchHistory50 to get 50% off Factor Meals. That again is factormeals.com slash FrenchHistory50 and use the code FrenchHistory50. Sign up today. Your stomach will thank you. As al-Hassan watched the Normans' approach, he decided that there was not enough food left in the city to last out a siege. He ordered everyone to evacuate with whatever they could carry. Most did, though the Christians and some others decided to stay. The Normans entered the city without a fight. George let his men sack the city for two hours before he established order. Then, in the words of Ibn al-Atir, He sent to those who were nearby among the Arabs, and they came to him. He treated them well and gave them much money. He also sent out some among the army of Madia, which had remained there as a group. They carried the promise of safety to the people of Madia, who had fled along with mounts to carry the children and women to the city. They were close to death from hunger, but they had their hidden treasures and wealth in Madia. When news of the safe passage came to them, they returned. Before Friday, most of the people of the city had returned. The Normans then moved on Seuss. The city similarly suffered from a lack of food and surrendered on the 2nd of July. Suffolk became the first city to resist the Normans during the 1148 campaign though they and their allies were overwhelmed on the 13th of July. If the Normans were merciful to those who surrendered, they were brutal to those who resisted, taking the men, women, and children as slaves. Al-Hasan had to flee westward and was taken prisoner by the Hamidid emir of Anaba, who in turn submitted to the Normans. By the end of the campaign, the kingdom of Sicily controlled a territory That stretched from Tripoli in the east up to Tunis in the west. The Normans controlled Mediterranean trade from east to west and the valuable Trans Saharan trade from north to south. Silk, incense, and spices flowed from the east. Gold, slaves, and ivory came up from the south. The Afrikians extracted salt on the coasts. From Spain came wool. Iron and foodstuffs, while Sicily itself exported its vast hard grain reserves, which paid for it all, alongside taxes extracted from conquered peoples. This trans Mediterranean, transcontinental kingdom was looking more like an empire, one which could rival Byzantium or the Caliphates. Indeed, some Byzantine officials openly lamented the Norman successes. One envoy to the Holy Roman Emperor claimed that Roger had conquered Africa, the rightful domain of the Roman Empire, and with it held sway over one-third of the world. Clearly, the Byzantines were exaggerating, but given their rivalry with the Normans, they were more than willing to play up their power to gain German aid. On paper, Roger had built an empire. Reality was quite different. The Norman Kingdom of Africa was resigned entirely to the coast, with Christian governors and soldiers exercising direct control over Madia, Pantelleria, Kerkenna, and Gerba. The vast majority of Norman territory was under the control of indigenous governors, who paid a small amount in taxes while retaining remarkable autonomy. Though, to keep the governors in line, the Normans took some of their relatives as hostages back to Sicily. The Normans never even tried to administer inland, meaning that most of the country's land and people lay outside of their power. Despite these obvious limitations, Roger was convinced of his own power. In 1149, he sent George of Antioch to raid Constantinople's port. While there, old Georgie even fired a few arrows at the palace windows in revenge for his family's mistreatment by the Greeks. It just so happened that Louis VII of France was sailing west when his entourage came upon the Norman fleet engaging a Byzantine fleet. After defeating the Byzantines, the Normans escorted Louis VII to Sicily. There, the two French-speaking monarchs likely bonded over their mutual enmity of the Germans, Byzantines, Muslims, pretty much anyone who wasn't French or subservient to them. This friendly meeting with the mighty King of France seemed to embolden Roger even further. In the early 1150s, Roger supported Welf VI against the king of Germany, Conrad III. Conrad defeated Welf, but the fact that an outsider would dare interfere in the eternal affairs of the Holy Roman Empire was stunning. Ifrichia prospered under the Normans, though in fairness, when the Normans seized the region, it did not have anywhere to go but up. In 1148, the drought ended, concluding the years-long nightmare that gripped Middle North Africa. Norman authority acted as a peacekeeping force which abetted trading. Normans also built up local infrastructure, investing in their new territory. Finally, they encouraged Christian merchants to travel or even settle in the kingdom, drawing many Italians, particularly Genoese. Pope Eugenius III even took the opportunity to appoint a new Archbishop of Africa to serve the growing Christian population. The Normans ruled as North African lords. They bestowed ceremonial robes called keel or plural kila upon their surrogate rulers. They allowed locals to maintain their customs and worship. They also engaged in gift-giving distributing gold to tribes to gain their allegiance. The Normans appointed Qadis to judge local cases. Given that Sicilian rulers already emulated Fatimid Egypt, it was easy for them to adapt to North Africa. The Normans would soon realize that Africa was not Sicily. Sicilian Muslims practiced the laxest form of Islam in the whole world. The people of Afrika were far more orthodox and resented Christian overlordship. They chafed under the Gizya tax and opposed the Christianization of their land. The end of the drought meant that the Afrikaans were less dependent on Sicily for grain, meaning that rebellion became a far more realistic prospect. Finally, while Sicily was an island of Muslims in a Christian region, North Africa was predominantly Muslim. Sicilian Muslims had to learn to tolerate and adapt to Christians because they could not expect much aid from their fellows. Ifrikians had many potential allies, including their fellow city-states, inland tribes, the Fatimids, or the rising power in the West, the Almohads. The Almohads would ultimately end the Norman Kingdom of Africa. This new caliphate rapidly conquered the Maghreb in the 1140s, overthrowing the Almoravids before stretching eastward. In 1152 or 1153, they took the city of Anaba, deposing the last Hamadid emir. The Almohads freed Al-Hassan, who eagerly joined the new power as a military commander against the Normans. In spring 1153, a coalition of Afrikian tribes assembled to fight the Almohads. Roger offered 5,000 of his own men to fight alongside them, but the tribes refused on the grounds that this was a Muslim affair. Perhaps they should have accepted his help, as the Almohads utterly defeated them at the Battle of Satif. Roger understood that he needed to do something about the Almohads. He sent a naval commander, the eunuch Philip of Madia, to conquer Anaba, which he did in 1153 along with the city of Bon. There, Philip treated kindly with the locals to win over their hearts. Despite, or perhaps because of these triumphs, Philip was recalled to Palermo as his political enemies launched a conspiracy against him. They accused him of being a secret Muslim due to his treatment of the people in the conquered cities. While the Sicilians tolerated Islam, they could not countenance apostasy, a crime which carried the death penalty. Roger was on Philip's side, but the rest of his court was firmly against him. The king openly wept when he gave the order to have his servant burned alive. Tragedy struck Sicily in February 1154 when Roger died. His son Guillaume was not as energetic or as competent as his father. Moreover, he faced a number of crises early on in his reign. Pope Adrian IV prompted the Normans in Italy to revolt in 1155, a revolt which the Byzantines supported with a fleet. For two years, Guillaume fought in Italy, defeating Normans, Italians, and Byzantines. He succeeded, forced submission from his vassals, and the Pope recognized him as king. Guillaume was so preoccupied with preserving his kingdom in Italy that his kingdom in Africa fell apart. The emir of Suffix, Umar ibn Abi al-Hassan al-Firiyani led a force that slaughtered the Norman guard. When news arrived in Palermo of the massacre in Sufix, Guillaume ordered Umar's father, who was then a hostage at court, to write to his son and urge him to resubmit to Norman authority. Umar's father refused. Guillaume then sent an emissary to Suffolk demanding their submission. The emissary was not allowed within the city. Instead, he watched a procession as the people carried an empty coffin in front of him. The coffin was for Umar's father, the previous ruler. The people of the city were honoring him for remaining faithful to his fellow Afrikian Muslims, even though it surely meant his death. Back in Palermo, Guillaume did as the people of Suffolk knew that he would— though in an excessively brutal manner. He ordered Umar's father crucified. Suffix's rebellion was a spark that spread like wildfire across Africa. Tripoli, Gabes, and the islands of Jerba and Kirkenna revolted, along with many smaller cities. In 1157, an army from Suffolk and Zawila even attacked madia The Normans successfully held the city until reinforcements arrived, bringing with them enough gold to bribe other tribes to join them. Realizing their danger, the army of Suffolk retreated to their city. The army from Zawila tried to do the same, but the inhabitants feared Norman retribution and locked the city gates. Trapped outside the walls, the Zawila army faced the Normans and were massacred. But the Normans showed no mercy to Zawila. They pillaged the city and exterminated those within. The Normans managed to retake a number of coastal cities, but their power was much reduced. Moreover, the Almohads continued their eastward expansion. In 1158, the Normans demanded the Imams of Tripoli denounce the fundamentalist ideology of the Almohads, The imams refused this Christian intrusion upon Muslim theology and the people were so incensed that they killed a Norman guard. Shortly thereafter, the Almohads conquered the city. By 1159, the Normans lost all their territory to rebellion or Almohad invasion, save Madia. But the capital was soon to follow. That year, the Almohad Caliph himself Abd al-Mumin traveled to Zawila to oversee the siege of Mahdiah. The atmosphere in the city was almost that of a festival as people traveled to see the caliph and join in his glorious jihad against the last of the Christian interlopers. In the meantime, many independent cities sent emissaries pledging fealty to al-Mumin. Guillaume determined to save what little remained of his African kingdom. He sent a fleet under the command of Caid Peter to break the siege. An Almohad fleet met the Normans and won a decisive victory. Madia held for another six months before surrendering on the 21st of January, 1160. The Almohads erased whatever Norman influence remained in Afrika. These leaders pursued a fundamentalist version of Islam, one that was far less tolerant for non-Muslims. They demanded that Christians convert, leave the country, or face execution. However, exceptions were made for traveling Italian merchants, since money is a powerful influence after all. After two decades of formal war in 1180, King Guillaume II and Caliph Yusuf I negotiated a peace to resume the ever-important Mediterranean trade. The Norman Kingdom of Africa was far too audacious an endeavor to last. The Normans believed they could replicate their conquest and rule of Islamic Sicily in Africa. But Africa was not Sicily. Its people were very different kinds of Muslims, The land was far too vast and there were great states beyond the powers of the Normans to contend with. The 1150s were the height of the Kingdom of Sicily's territorial conquests, however it would only grow richer and grander in the late 12th century when it became one of the greatest kingdoms in all of medieval Europe.